Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today it's me, Jeff, and I'm here in the studio with Greg and Aaron. And we're going to be talking today about $10,000 mountain bikes, or in other words, really, really, really expensive bikes. Basically, we're kind of drawing the line on super expensive bikes at around $10,000, but I'm sure you can find some that cost more or less that are within that range. But anyway, you know what we're talking about. So... We did a survey a little while back asking mountain bikers, a lot of mountain bikers, what they thought a high-end mountain bike should cost. And based on that information, we found the average for most people was about $3,500. So when we're talking about $10,000 bikes, this is like three times as much as what most people would consider a high-end mountain bike. So these are the super elite, super rare bikes. I want to start off by asking you guys to talk about what bikes in this range are available out there like how common are ten thousand dollar plus mountain bikes um i would say surprisingly common you know when we we first started doing some research on this topic i thought i'd have a more difficult time than i did finding ten thousand dollar bikes true ten thousand dollar bikes are yeah there's a bunch of them out there but you know the eight nine thousand dollar bikes you can find all day long, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, some, some of the examples I found, uh, some of them, you know, like downhill bikes, like the Trek Session, their top top flight, you know, World Cup ready downhill bike is $10,000. Specialized, actually, I was able to find three bikes in their lineup that were uh, $10,000 or more. Their S-Works Epic, which is their cross-country race mu- machine, is $11,500. They actually have a stump jumper hardtail that rings in at Whoa. ten grand, Jeez. and the S Works Camber, which I believe you rode, Jeff, at Interbike, is ten grand. And then, of course, you know other brands, Santa Cruz. If you pretty much any of their bikes, if you slap some Envy wheels on it, you're going to break the ten thousand dollar <laughs> barrier. Rocky Mountain had a couple. They actually had a ten thousand five hundred dollar Rocky Mountain Maiden Unlimited, which is their new downhill bike that just came out earlier this summer um yes that's over 10 grand and surprisingly they have a trail bike the thunderbolt 799 msl for eleven thousand five hundred. but the most expensive bike i think that any of us found was the felt virtue frd is twelve thousand five hundred dollars whoa whoa that's a lot it's interesting though you know, I think a lot of people think that when they think of a really expensive bike, like a $10,000 bike, they're imagining like a downhill bike or something that's really specialized. But on that list... The brand? Not the brand. <laughs> but on that list, you have like cross-country bikes. I mean, there was even a hardtail on that list. So clearly, it's not about the style, like a particular style of riding necessitates a really expensive bike. I would disagree to an extent, though. Um, When I was doing my own searches and most of the bikes on these lists end up being uh, the cross-country race bikes, the full suspension cross-country race bikes generally top the list because of some of the really lightweight, expensive components, whereas a lot of the trail bikes don't necessarily go quite that high. There's a couple, but there's not as many. I think partially because the racing scene will see more money available to purchase those bikes than your average trail rider out shredding. Lots of trail bikes still in the between seven and $9,000 range. 
I mean, I think you have a point there, but uh, you are seeing more and more. I mean, like that Thunderbolt from Rocky Mountain, that's a, by any accounts, that's a trail bike, and that's over 11 grand. And then Yeti's entire line, the SB4, 5, and 6C, any of those bikes with the carbon wheel option, you're looking at 10,600 bucks. So, you know, none of those are cross country race bikes. So, who are the buyers for these $10,000 mountain bikes? Obviously, it's not your everyday rider. It's not your beginner rider. But who who can afford these bikes, and who are they being made for? Dentists. That's actually not a joke, though. I mean, but in all reality, a lot of these bikes are being purchased by people who make a lot of money and enjoy mountain biking. And aside from that, I'd say people who don't have to pay for them themselves. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely the person who has the means, for one, as Greg said, but also the person who doesn't care how much it costs. You know, cost is not a factor. They just want whatever the best thing is. And a lot of times people equate the most expensive thing with being the best thing. So if there's an $11,000 bike and that's the most expensive one from the brand you want to buy, then that's the one you're going to get because obviously it costs the most, therefore it's the best. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think you're implying too when you talk about people who don't pay for their bikes you're talking about racers too people that don't yeah don't have to worry about how much it costs and and that's where a lot of the development comes in is building these bikes for these people who are testing them and putting to their full performance potential so what makes a bike cost this much components but really with all these bikes all the top end bikes that we're looking at you can buy the top-end frames with cheaper components for much, much less money. Most of these super high-end bikes, you know, they're all featuring the most expensive components that money can buy. NV carbon wheels, RS1 forks or similar, such as a Pike, Shimano Di2 XTR drivetrains really drive up the price. So all these top-end $12,000 bikes are all running Di2 drivetrains. The DI2 is astronomically more expensive than even regular XTR. So ultimately, the components drive the price. Frames do to an extent, but it's really the components. Right, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I think the DI2 group set is 3500 bucks on its own. So, Ooh. yeah, no shortage of money going to that end of things. Um, I also think it's the market, you know, right? I mean, the, if the market's willing to pay $10,000 for a bike, then that's what, you know, that's what these companies are going to charge. And also part of it is this constant need for something new. You know, I know a lot of people compare mountain bikes to dirt bikes. So every time you see, every time we post something on an expensive bike, someone inevitably makes a comparison. Oh, I could buy a Honda CRF 450 or I could buy this KTM dirt bike or whatever. But kind of the difference there is, you know, they use the same engine, the same frame, the same suspension, the same like main architecture for several years before they change it. They'll change the graphics and they change the plastics every year to keep it fresh. But, you know, they're not going out every single year and like coming up with a new suspension design and moving the pivots. And that stuff costs money. I mean, apart from the R&D side of things, you have the tooling costs, a, you know, carbon mold for a frame can cost anywhere from twenty to forty thousand dollars per mold per size. You know, so if you think about that, one mold for a carbon bike just gets you one size. You can't use, you know, the same mold for a small, medium and large frame. You need individual molds for those. So when you're spending 
literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the molds and you don't have years to amortize that tooling cost, then yeah, that's why you're going to have these bikes that cost so much. That's interesting. So what do you think is driving these companies to change their stuff every single year? I mean, is it competition? There are just so many great bikes out there and bike companies or, or is it something more? I think there, there is a demand from the market. Like people want to see something new every year. I think we may be moving away from that slightly. I, I know Santa Cruz, they've never really played the model year game. You know, they, they're much more like a dirt bike manufacturer. They change their colors every year. You know, they have some funky new schemes, but they, they only change the bike after when they feel like there's enough things to change on it that's going to make a substantial improvement like you know they just came out with the version two of the nomad and the bronson bronson the 5010 sorry you know they they don't do the the model year thing um you're seeing i think felt was another big company that's moving away from model years and i think we may see that more and more but as it stands right now it's if you don't have something new you're not relevant right so that's why they have to go and slightly modify the geometry and change the pivot points and that requires a new frame when you're talking carbon one potential difference is that mountain biking is a much newer sport than dirt biking so it is possible that we're still seeing a lot more continued improvements in the technology end of the mountain bike spectrum currently and maybe we'll plateau pretty soon here i mean who knows we could reach a point where there aren't as many technological improvements to be made you know, with the longer history of dirt biking, it seems like they've probably sort of already reached that point. However, um, dirt bikers I talk to say that even within the past decade or two, there have been massive improvements on the dirt biking end of the spectrum. So hopefully we never totally tap out. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully we just get cheaper. Uh, also on the subject of when you're talking about dirt bikes, when people make that comparison, you know, they say, I can get XYZ dirt bike for the same amount of money. But it's not necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison, right? Because when you're talking about a $10,000 mountain bike, you are talking about the nicest stuff you can buy. You know, you're talking about pro-level. This is the same equipment that the fastest dudes in the world are running. Whereas when you're talking about a dirt bike, the one that you, you can roll out of your, you know, your local dealer is nowhere near the bike that you know James Stewart or whoever is is racing supercross on you know those you're talking like magnitudes of difference in price you know more expensive so it's not exactly you know it's not like you're getting the same top level components on a on the dirt bike that you would on the mountain bike we've said that ten thousand dollar mountain bikes are pretty rare and it's a pretty limited market so should we care about these bikes these expensive bikes i mean if not a lot of people are riding them and they're out of reach for a lot of riders, do they do they really matter to the market? I've got two things on that point. One, again, is sort of going back to the idea of a different lineup, different specs for these bikes. For most of these bikes, you can get the same frame on the $10,000 bikes uh, with a $5,000 complete build price or sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more. So generally, if you go with cheaper components, you can go for half the price. But what I want to focus on more is the components because I really think that drives up the price because of that. We do have to talk about trickle-down technology. That technology really does trickle down into more affordable versions over the course of a few years. 
Uh, look at XX1. That was the first one by 11 drivetrain on the market, what, three or four years ago now? And we already, in that time, have acquired uh, GX drivetrain availability, which is a minimal fraction of the cost and is within the reach of most people who are willing to buy a halfway decent mountain bike. I mean, it's at the intermediate level price range. And GX really, Aaron, you can probably speak more to this, but offers most of the performance benefits that you find in XX1 drivetrain, a little bit heavier and much more affordable package. And we see that across the spectrum in all different types of technology, drivetrain, suspension, brakes, tires, wheels, all through the line. So if you can't buy a $10,000 mountain bike, looking at what's on a $10,000 mountain bike will tend to indicate what will be within your price range as far as technology within the course of less than five years. Truth. The SRAM uh, GX group is actually the example I had as well. I mean, it is. It's you know phenomenal performance for a third of the cost of a XX1 group. So, you know, that's a huge... Huge difference in, in prices, particularly when you're talking about on the scale of a mountain bike manufacturer specking that group. It's a lot cheaper for them to have a drivetrain like GX1 on their bikes instead of the XX1. And also, you know, you mentioned the trickle down in, in brakes and suspension, but I also think you know, you're seeing the trickle down in frame technology as well. Because I mean, now you can buy a complete mountain bike with a carbon frame for. Three thousand to thirty-five hundred dollars. You know, obviously, it's not going to have the nicest components on that. But just a few years ago, that would have been insane to even think that you could have a carbon bike at that price point. You know, especially even today, you're selling, you're seeing some carbon frames selling for three grand by themselves. So there, yeah, there's trickle down across the board. But they are, you know, th- these bikes are important. They are, they are, they're halo products. You know, I think it's it's kind of the same thing that you have in the in the world of cars you know when you have you know the nicest corvette let's say like the top of the line corvette that costs one hundred and twenty thousand dollars like that's out of the reach of most people but it's important for chevy to have that to have such a badass product in their lineup because it just you know it, it brings goodwill to the brand can an expensive bike be considered an unfair advantage particularly in like a racing situation I know a lot of people complain about $10,000 bikes and the people they see riding them. And it, it it's almost the complaints are driven by just the seeming unfairness of it. So you guys see that as being unfair to be able to have equipment that's that much nicer if you can afford it? I don't think so. I think it's, it's always about the rider, right? I mean, you know, it kind of depends on what two bikes we're comparing, you know? So if you have, let's say you have the same basic frame, but you have let's say a $5,000 version of this bike, and then someone is on a $10,000 version of the bike. The differences in performance, honestly, I mean, are going to be pretty minimal. You know, you're not talking about the difference. You know, if somebody's on a, you know, $500 budget entry-level hardtail and someone's on a $10,000 bike, then, yeah, maybe I could see the argument a little bit more. But the differences between you know, a $1,000 bike and a $5,000 bike are much greater than the differences between a $5,000 and a $10,000 bike. Definitely agree with that. And on top of it, it's like if you're racing for money, you should hopefully have the best componentry and uh, equipment that money can buy. And if you're not racing for money, 
then who really cares, honestly? I mean, I'm a little bit anti-racing in general, but based on all the things that Aaron said, it's like if you're not making your paycheck racing your bike, then maybe you should not take yourself so seriously that seeing somebody on a $10,000 bike is going to ruin your day. So (laughs) just go out there, ride your bikes, and have fun. Yeah, and it seems that those elite levels, that's where minor differences can really make a big difference in podium results, you know, where if you're 1% faster because of your bike, that's going to be what you need just to get an edge over, you know, your competitors. So it's definitely seems to be driven at that end of the market. And the other thing I'll say is a lot of people do kind of use that as an excuse, I think, too. I think it's a bit of a crutch to say, well, you know, I would be fast if I had that $10,000 bike. It reminds me of that video we posted of the 12-year-old kid that was shredding, and a bunch of people were like, yeah, I could shred like that if I had that bike. But really, I don't think you could if you're 12 (laughs) years old. I mean, this kid was awesome and whatever. You know, it's about the person on the bike. All right, so speaking about these $10,000 wonder bikes, what's the most expensive bike that you guys have ridden that you're willing to admit? Most expensive one I've ridden was probably most recently the Santa Cruz Bronson, and it had the highest level build kit with an MV wheel upgrade, which it's important to note. I don't think I mentioned this in my review, but the MV wheel upgrade doesn't come with the highest level component, so that's price on top. So it's a $10,500 bike. MV wheels, Pike Fork, XTR drivetrain. And we talked about my recent Bronson experience in a previous podcast, and you check, can check out the review on the website. I uh, sadly have yet to ride a $10,000 mountain bike. <laughs> I know, poor me. I've probably ridden a couple of $10,000 road bikes, but you know that's not what we're talking about here. So going back through my notes, the most expensive mountain bike I've ridden was a specialized S-Works stump jumper, which rings in at a price of $8,600. So, you know, not 10 grand, but not too far off either. Yeah, so before I share my list, I forgot to ask the other part of the question, which was, was this a life-changing experience to ride this $10,000 bike? So I'll I'll say for mine, you know, I rode that $10,000 specialized camber S-Works edition at Interbike, and then also, a couple years ago at Interbike, I rode a Rocky Mountain Element 999, uh, which had DI2 on it, which really, as we said, pushes the price up a lot. And I would say for both of those bikes, they're both, I mean, incredibly dialed bikes and rode really, really well. But did they ride that much better than like a $5,000 bike or a you know $6,000 bike? I don't think so. I mean, I think they're they're on par, but it wasn't the kind of thing where... If you've never ridden one, you're not going to like jump on a $10,000 bike and be like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing this whole time. You know, like I have to have to sell everything and buy one of these. Like it's, it wasn't that way for me, but maybe, maybe it is for some people. Didn't change my life. Same thing here. Although some of my favorite bikes I've ever ridden, most of them ring in at maybe like the six to $7,000 range or right in there. So again, uh, that's not quite 10,000 but it's still not cheap by any means i think we go all goes back to what aaron said the difference between a thousand dollar bike and a five thousand dollar bike is astronomical compared to the difference between a five thousand dollar bike and a ten thousand dollar bike 
Okay, so long term, where do we see the real prices of mountain bikes heading? I mean, obviously with inflation, you know, in 50 years, like an entry level bike is going to be $10,000 and, <laughs> you know, we're going to be paying for Cokes with $20 bills. But is $10,000 these like sort of quote unquote expensive bikes going to become more common in terms of market share or stay where they are? Or it sounds like you guys were maybe implying they might sort of flatten out at some point. Ultimately, I think we're getting more options is is the long and short of it because we're getting more and more expensive bikes than we've ever had before. We're not losing any bikes on the low end of the spectrum and we're gaining more bikes at the middle of the spectrum. So ultimately, we have more options. You know, maybe the market share of $10,000 bikes will go up, but it's still going to be small and ultimately doesn't really matter. I just say buy what you can afford and expect trickle down technology from these nice bikes to mean better bikes for the same amount of money or less expensive bikes coming down the pipe and heading your way. I think ultimately all these improvements over the long term are going to mean good things for mountain bikers. Well, cool. This has been a fun discussion about expensive mountain bikes. If you've enjoyed this discussion, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time. Peace.